On January 2nd, journalist Tara Parker Pope published a, a column on how to create and how to shape an amazing new year. And no doubt she had an audience on January 2nd, because after we pop a bottle of champagne and and watch fireworks in person or on TV, as we gaze into a new year with, with our hopes and our dreams, with our wishes and our prayers, for a few days at least, that 12 month, 365 day calendar is blank. It's full of possibilities. And it isn't to that wide vista of opportunity that Parker Pope wrote. During nearly 20 years of writing about health, I've had the opportunity to speak with, with hundreds of top medical experts about how to live well. What I've learned from, from all of them can be summed up in, in four simple words. Move. Nourish, refresh, and connect. Parker Pope goes on to invite her readers to pick one of those four words for 2019. A word to direct our next 12 months. Move, nourish, refresh, connect. I wonder, do you have a word that might capture what you long to have unfold in your life in 2019? If you were to pick a word, what word might that be? As we begin a new year this month, we also begin a new series, as Lynn mentioned, called Flourish, How to Grow a Great Life. Over the coming weeks, will reflect on biblical principles that can help us to grow. For example, our faith and our hope and our love will consider biblical principles that can inspire us to grow our relationships, our work, our sense of purpose. But admittedly, that's not or has it really ever been easy to, to grow something new in our life. Which brings us to our bulletin cover and a photo of a sycamore tree. Poet, novelist, and environmentalist Wendell Berry lives on a farm in Port Royal, Kentucky. He has maintained that farm for 40 years. He holds this deep reverence for land and is a staunch defender of agrarian values, as one writer put it. Berry is also the author of 40 books of poetry and fiction and essays won the National Humanities Medal. His work celebrates the, the holy list of life, and how there are everyday miracles that surround us. I've long been a fan of Wendell Berry and recently came across his poem, The Sycamore, reads like this. In the place that is my own place, whose earth I am shaped in and must bear, there is an old tree growing, a great sycamore that is a wondrous healer of itself. Fences have been tied to it, nails driven into it, hacks and whittles cut in it. The lightning has, has burned it. There is no year it has flourished in that has not harmed it. 
There is a hollow in it that is its death. Though its living brims whitely at the lips of darkness and flows outward. Over all its scars has come the seamless white of its bark. It bears the gnarls of its history healed over. It has risen to strange perfection in the warp and bending of its growth. It has gathered all its accidents into its purpose. It's sublime, mystical, unassailable. I recognize in it, writes Barry, a principle, an indwelling. This week I thought, sometimes I feel like that sycamore tree. I suspect we all do at times, meaning life can take its toll, can't it? I wonder, as you begin 2019, do you carry with you setbacks, anxieties, fears, disappointments from from 2018? What's fascinating is Barry acknowledges such experiences as undeniable and an unavoidable reality of what it means to call ourselves human. But there is something else at work in the universe. Barry writes, there is no year it has flourished in that has not harmed it. Every tree, in other words, and I might add every life, experiences injury and hardship and harm. As Barry puts it, fences have been tied to us, nails driven in. And yet the God who imagined and created that sycamore, who imagined and created you and me, also instilled in us that which is sublime, mystical, unassailable, a principle, and in-dwelling. There is, as Barry observes, after 40 years of cultivating a farm, a strange perfection in that tree. It has gathered all accidents into its purpose. I wonder if you ever felt that way. That yes, life events, people have left scars on our heart, on our soul, on our mind. Yes, things have been tied to us. Even nails have been driven into us metaphorically. Lightning has burned. And yet, if we pause to consider, to reflect, if we think about it, there is this other force inside of us, an indwelling that longs to heal and to inspire us to grow once again. Yes, in other words, that sycamore tree on our bulletin cover has experienced repeated hardships, it literally has weathered them and it will flourish once again. Green leaves will sprout, birds will sing on its branches. Over the coming weeks, we'll be reflecting on this theme as it relates to a conversation that God had with with Moses and the Israelites. Which brings us to our scripture reading for the morning. But before we delve into the passage, a few words of context. We find the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, the part of the Bible that relates God's role in creation. The universe, human beings, 
in the relationship that we have with God. Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament and renders the story of how God, God frees the Israelites from slavery in Pharaoh's Egypt, if you remember. They embark on a long journey. And an exodus, led by Moses, they travel through the simmering heat of the desert, the parting of the Red Sea. We pick up the story in the, in the middle of Exodus, in what is called the third moon, since their departure from Egypt. They are now in the desert near Mount Sinai. As one biblical scholar puts it, for the children of Israel, chapter 19 is a momentous event in their history. Here, a relationship is born between God and God's people. Here, Moses goes up and down Mount Sinai no less than three times. And for a man who in the biblical tradition is said to be in his 80s, this is no small tour. So why is Moses trekking up and down Mount Sinai? In many ways, God is explaining to Moses and the Israelites what they will need to know to flourish with their newfound freedom. God says to Moses, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, and I carried you on eagle's wings. Now, if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession. Moses walks down the mountain, shares God's instruction. The people respond, yes, we will do that. We will do what God says. Moses treks up the mountain to relate the Israel's, Israelites' response. And then God says, I'm going to appear in a thick cloud in three days. That comes to pass. But not only does God appear in a thick cloud, but there is thunder and there is lightning and the whole mountain quivers. Moses climbs again, 7,500 feet. His calves are now aching. There's sweat on his brow. The wind is blowing back his hair. Can you see him in your mind's eye, 80 years old, climbing 7,500 feet? He goes up Mount Sinai. God informs Moses the people are not for any reason to come up to the mountain. Moses says to God, I think they got the message with the thunder and the lightning. And then, as with Jesus' resurrection in the New Testament, something happens next in Exodus 20 that is a singular moment in Jewish scripture. As one scholar puts it, in a sense, the whole history of Israel begins at Mount Sinai. They learn what it means to be God's people. Perched on the top of Mount Sinai, God relates to Moses and, and the people staring up at that crackling clouds. A set of guidelines, instructions on how it looks like to flourish. Colloquially and culturally, we call these guidelines the Ten Commandments. But as one scholar notes in the Torah, they are actually called Ezerat ha Devarim, a word that in Hebrew means word or saying. 
Thus, the phrase is more accurately translated as, as the ten sayings or declarations or words, but not the ten commandments, which would be Hazarat ha Mizrat. Which is interesting, isn't it? We call them the ten commandments. We think of them as commandments, but a better understanding might be ten words or ten sayings. Which brings us to our first word, we read, and God spoke all these words. I'm the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Stephen Rosenberg is a senior fellow at the Archaeological Research Center in Jerusalem. He published a helpful article on the themes that are emerging here in our passage. He notes, for example, there is a tension between who and what God's people will now worship. And that theme will occur again and again and again and again. The Israelites are tempted, notes Rosenberg, right after these words are offered by God to worship an Egyptian god, a cow, a god named Hathor. They will later be tempted to worship Baal, the god of fertility. Later in Israelite history, King Solomon will permit his wives' idols to be placed in the temple. And so it will go. In other words, what we encounter here in Exodus chapter 20 is a God who longs to set the Israelites free, not only from this physical captivity, but spiritual captivity. In that God instructs them now to turn their attention away from that which is not worthy of their devotion and back to the true source of life and beauty and grace love and hope. If they do that, they will flourish. This week, as I thought about Tara Parker Pope's four words and her suggestion that a word can shape a year, I realized in our passage, God offers us a, a first word to shape a life, to shape a year. And that word is worship. To worship God and God alone. And on a whim, I researched the, the roots of that word, worship, and learned it originates with this old English word that means worthiness. It's interesting, isn't it? That to worship is to identify that which is worthy of our attention and our devotion. God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. What would unfold for us in 2019, I wonder, if we decided to make worship or worthiness the word that shapes the next 12 months? 
that as you and I lived into situations and assessed opportunities and and interacted with people and, and our material possessions, that we kept the worthiness at the forefront of our mind. What would 2019 become? What, what kind of year would it be if that was the lens through which we made decisions and allocated our time and our resources? Worthiness. Would we not, in fact, flourish? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.